Indeed, Elfigra Loklesha, we will take a look at the latest in the world of money and power. And uh, on this Monday, joining me uh, to help us take a look at the big stories in business is uh, Snesipo Maninjwa, independent market commentator, analyst and CA. Snesipo, good evening to you and welcome. Uh, Evening, Aya. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It's a bit cold, but uh, hey, I'm not dead. Yes, I'm not dead, but yes. I'm close to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, hey, dude. Yeah. You know, I, I was saying to somebody, I mean, I, I I always say I come from one of the coldest places, I think, in South Africa. But I, yeah, 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 yeah. From the cold. It certainly has changed up. Uh, but that being said, Snezipo. I want us to maybe start in the poultry sector. Now, uh, this is certainly one of the biggest employers in the agricultural sector and uh, also generating a considerable amount of value. And uh, we can have the debate about the impact of imports on them. But it seems now that, uh, yeah, avian flu, what's happening here? Um, so avian flu is a disease that affects chickens. And so earlier in April, there was a break, uh, there was a breakout uh, detected in one of the farms in uh, Gauteng. And so they decided to cull, uh, to cull meaning that they kill all the chickens, basically, because you never know who, who's picked up who. So you Hopefully, what's the story? No, 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 no. Um, depending on what type it is, usually they say that you can eat the chicken if it's cooked above 60 degrees, but I don't know how anyone would be that Specific, but, but I'm saying, yeah. look, so that, the reason why I asked Nesip is that they say it's okay to still eat eggs from these chickens and even yeah. eat the chicken if you cook it. And of course, you would, if you have boiler, central, that's above 60 degrees anyway. So when they cull, do they just throw all of these things in a pit or do they actually hand it to the workers or even the community? How does it work? My understanding is that they uh, burn everything. Oh, but so, I stand under correction, heavily correction. I don't want anyone to kill me, but my understanding from the time I, I used to visit the poultry farms just outside it by, they usually kill no wastage because ultimately, as much as you can say that you can boil, you can boil them to 60 degrees, you actually have to monitor that you actually hit 60. That's the thing. You, how long does it take to get to 60 degrees? You'd have to have a thermometer. And I think just from a safety perspective and I, I'm a believer that you should not give people, even if it's done in donation with good intention and not to avoid wastage, something that can make them sick. Personally. But no. then why would the entities say that the, the chicken I buy off the shelf that might come from some of these broilers won't kill me? Do, uh, do you get my yeah, point, that, right? Yeah, I, 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 I do get your point. But yeah, for me, if there's, they must kill, kill burn everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, burn everything. Because I just for me, it's just too much of a a health risk yeah. for me too. And they have said, please note, that it's not infectious to people, but eh, mm. they do the SARS and COVID-19, guys. And I'm very sensitive to the population. And Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I'll never forget in my life is seeing what they do there with like, you know, Afal and the insides uh, of all manner of animals. And, um, uh, you know, when they give it away for free, which just, I guess, comes back to your point that there's something a bit a bit unsettling about it. Um, you know, when it keeps selling up and that kind of thing. But w- what does this mean, Snesipo, for imports into the region in particular, Botswana, Namibia, Mozambique, uh, which uh, I guess are... Uh, uh, 
key so, markets for us so here? From, from, so from our perspective, depending on how large the outbreak is, and I think that's also what we need to understand is how large is the outbreak is and how long is it going to continue? Because the idea is first to get containers before you think exports, imports. You first need to get an understanding and, and, and just find out how big your problem is. The fact mm. that it's moved from one farm to another farm already uh, for us is um, it's not a good sign. So for me, it's just monitoring. But from the perspective of obviously there's an economic impact, specifically uh, the fact that you're you're going to be um, you're going to be exporting less. Mm. But and eventually, depending on how if we were to continue, you're going to be importing more, which for us is, is quite a tragedy because you know. Agriculture has, um, they did a new master plan for agriculture. I think you remember it. I think, weren't you part of that project? Which I wonder they're, they're doing the new master plan for agriculture. Uh-huh. And funnies. No, no, no I me. think you, you yeah. remember they did, they did a new master plan because they had to do it because of, you know, the impact of the, uh, the, the, the imports from the US and how the industry was ravaged, basically. By that, so they did a new um, master plan for the industry to try to grow uh, market share and also to encourage um, more localization and as well as export. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be a difficult one here. I mean, if, if uh, one takes into account all of the jobs uh, at stake and uh, even the trade uh, uh, issues around this particular sector, which have certainly been uh, quite the topic uh, over the last few years or so. But, um, Snesipo, this Pierre Fantondo story. Yeah, mm. hey, I don't know what you it, make of this. No, I actually, guys, we need to stop. We need to stop as stigmatizing mental health. This is a rich man, rich, rich, not proper, rich, rich, and I can sort of, and it is depression. And we need to stop stigmatizing the fact that depression looks and is presented in a specific way. Mm. This is a man who has everything. Sixty years old, living there in the beachfront. And, you know, a multimillionaire 10 times over and depression still impacted him and he considered taking his own life. I'm glad that he's recovering. I pray for his uh, family and loved ones to get healing. But it is, I think we don't talk about it from a business perspective in terms of the amount of pressure we are Mm. under from a business and corporate perspective to perform. And sometimes people do actually... uh, you know what, they don't cope. And that's okay. And I think for me, we need to start more discussions on depression and depression and get rid of the stigma. And that's just because even the article I wrote about Business Day, they just talked about what he did. They didn't talk about the fact that this is someone who has depression and we need to find ways to... So so wait, I mean, okay. So so I guess there's, there's two issues here. Uh, and I definitely agree with you around the destigmatization of depression. <laughs> Uh, and it's a very difficult conversation because, you know, the hyper-masculine culture of corporate South Africa, uh, you know, is a, this very stoic culture, you know, you work long hours, you just suck it up and you keep it moving. But then the other element is, that, and I don't know, I haven't seen any statement from Spur on this, but but did they confirm that, uh, you know, he was diagnosed with depression or is uh, are you just, I guess, speculating? He It's in a suicide attempt. Suicide attempt is depression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he, he got hospitalized from a suicide attempt. Not COVID, not anything else, a suicide attempt. And mm. 
Uh, and I think, like I said, it's it, 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 it's quite, um, yeah, it's, they, he's in a critical condition. Um, they've reported he's in the critical condition. And you can just hope that he'll survive and, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, it's one. It's 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 it, 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 yeah, it's yeah. It's a very sad situation in itself. Yeah, hey. Let's shift our attention away from that one, uh, Snesipo, and uh, take a look at uh, the GEPF. Now they're selling a dozen of uh, properties uh, that are owned by the uh, pension fund that holds the monies of teachers, nurses, police uh, people, and uh, uh, all manner of uh, other public sector workers. Uh, and I was saying earlier, Snesipo, I mean, if uh, one looks at the uh, property portfolio of the GEPF um, and I guess the latest information out on their websites from 2018, 2019, somewhere there. There's properties there from around 190,000 by value. I think one property in Mabat or somewhere is 190,000 through to around 100 million apiece. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. A lot of them, remember, a lot of them is historic ownership. Mm. Mm. It's historic um uh, on the real apartheid ownership, if we have to be, if we have to, <laughs> a lot of them is historic. It's, a lot of them is historic ownerships that they've had for years. And um, if you look at where the property industry is, um, they had sort of like, for me, they sort of had two choices, which is they could have um, um, packaged all the property together and list the vehicle. Mm. But as you know, the property sector has seen fire flames or cash out, which is the option that they've chosen. I'm grateful that they used a broker that's black owned because sometimes, you know. Yeah, least, but uh, I mean, that JV there between hey, them hey. and Jones Lang Lasale, I mean, dynamics. Yeah, you know. Because I, I get the Tebe one, yes, impact group. Yes, let's give them props. Yeah. yeah. But hey, when I see a UK owned uh, real estate or realtor, I. Mm-mm. You need coverage, unfortunately, mm. and this is the thing. As this is where, this is where exclusion comes in in terms of industry expertise. In that you're expecting black people to compete um, with established uh, brokers, but they don't have the coverage. They don't have the clients. And unfortunately, if you are a property owner looking for the highest value, you're going to go to the person who's got the client. And again, it's exclusion, but SIAs. If you get what I'm saying, in mm. that we want them to be there. So I'm grateful that they took that other tick box, Kevin, but they've got such a huge portfolio that you need coverage. You actually yeah, need so. coverage. You need, you need coverage. You, you, you have no other choice but to go for the guys. And if you are dealing with pension monies, as much as we care about, uh, you know, BE, you as a pension owner, pensioner within the GAPF. You're going to want them to sell it at the highest price. And who has the best clients? Who has the biggest coverage? You're, you're going to... It, 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 it's sad. Yeah, and I guess that's the point, right? I mean, if you are a government investor of government pensions and you invest in equities, bonds in the listed space mm-hmm. and unlisted you know, venture, equity-type deals and even property, and then 20-something years later you still can't undertake a transaction in that sector and just have it fully run by black people because of some of the issues that you're raising. I mean, th- that's the point. Yeah, they don't have the coverage. And um, they don't have the coverage. They don't have the clients. And, uh, when and, you say coverage, and, what do you mean? So what you're looking for in a broker, you want to be able to sell your property at the highest value in the shortest amount of time. So 
in terms of client access, you've got to look at the black brokers in South Africa, especially from a commercial perspective. I know some of them might be listening to you, but this is going to be a hard pull for them to swallow, but they need to deal. So who has the clients? Who has the money? White people have the money. They have the clients as well. They have mm. the relationships with the clients, not just here in South Africa, but locally as well. If you look at the black commercial brokers in South Africa, I don't think any of them have international coverage, if we have to be honest. They may have one or two clients in JA. And you want to, and that's what you pay, that's what I mean by coverage. Mm. You want to give it to a broker who can present it to 100,000 clients sure, in sure. one day versus someone who maybe can go to 20 clients. And not because they not, it's not a lack of skill, it's just that a lot of these relationships, and if you can look at property, property, guys, structural inequality and structural exclusion exist mm. because people go with who has the best relationships. It's, and like I said, if you're a property owner, as much as you know, you must get property GPF, many out of told them, go to the white guys without, if I was a pensioner because you wanted the highest value in the shortest amount of time so mm. that you can realize as much value as you can. And you can only get that with those with specific type of brokers. Yeah. And it's not a function of skill. And this is where people take a misconstrue it, is that it's not a function of skill between a white and a black person. It's a function of relationships. And those relationships are exclusionary mm. by nature. And you know what the paradox is, Nesipo? I agree with yeah. the point you're making that, you know, if I have an interest in the GPF, I want the GPF to get the best price for it. And if that means I need to go to JLL, then sure, I'll do that. But the other paradox of it is that many of the people who, you know, when we hypothesize like that and we say, if I'm a member of the GEPF, many of those people don't even have homes themselves. They're renting in backyards, nurses, police, all manner of people. So I think there's, um, yeah, a lot of uh, issues around that, the structural inequity of it all. But also, I think, uh, big questions around, you know, because even if we talk about pension-backed housing loans for you know for, for many of uh, those workers in that space, a lot of them find it very difficult to even access that. Snesipo, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Maybe before we speak about plant-based meat alternatives. Um, so the thing is that for me, I've always said that we need to reimagine funding for the working class because the current commercial banking structure is based on earnings and net asset value. Mm. When you've got a population that neither has the earnings nor the net asset value, you will always have exclusion. So you've got to look at ways of bridging that gap. And it's sort of one of the talks and sort of the sort of the founding principles of people wanting to establish a, a government-owned bank. But again, neither here or there. If you hear what's going on a land bank, hey, Masaba. So like I said, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm a believe that we need to restructure and reimagine an economy that is inclusive for the majority. Yeah. And if we don't consider, if we don't do this now, or because we didn't do it earlier on, and you know, the next best thing to do is to do it now mm. is, um, is to, is to reimagine and restructure one because perpetually we're going to create an inequality that is, it's, 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 it's at a point where it's high now, but it's still solvable, in my opinion. It's still solvable, but so if we allow it to inequality. continue, inequ- if I honestly feel the way it is now, it's still solvable. Yeah. A lot, but it's still solvable because China has done it, so it's doable, but we're going to get to a point where it, it, it becomes too much. Yeah. Inequality in South Africa. Like South Africa's world beaters 
at inequality and unemployment. That like is the worst storm to have. Yeah, it's a, you it's have the highest inequality, and... highest like unemployment. We are outliers just in general. Yeah, so so eventually, and this is for me. If we don't solve it, and I always say because I'm, uh, it's because I say in the north, one day the people are going to protest and they're going to burn our houses down because you're creating, you, you you're creating a melting pot, and it is. It's getting hotter and hotter. Yeah. It's a breeding ground for... It's literally a breeding ground for a uh, revolution. Well, Snezibo, I hope you are starting to organize in your neighborhood there, uh, putting together <laughs> a socialist reading group and a socialist cell uh, for that revolution when it happens, because I certainly agree with you. I think it's unsustainable for the kind of society that we are, still as we are in transition, but also, you know, the moment people get to a certain tipping point, then you can't even pause and arrest and think about how do you contain and manage all of that stuff because it'll take on a pace of its own this story here from the u.s plant-based meat alternatives now i find this very interesting because um from time to time i've tried to you know have meatless weekdays meatless weeks meatless mondays you know um and i must say i mean i guess there, there are some benefits that come with that um but it seems now this is a big market uh, especially among millennials I will say this as someone who's sometimes vegan. It do. Sometimes you, vegan. Not even vegetarian. Two million. Not even vegetarian. Two million. Two million. Yo, yo. Ah, when, Ten million. When you convert it over, most like you. <laughs> yo, it's like two million. So okay, let's just get back to the crux of the story. So one of the largest meat producers in uh, the U.S. Uh, three years ago ventured into uh, and producing a vegetarian alternative to meat a vegan alternative to the meat. They then closed that endeavor due to the fact that they didn't find a market for it. Now, enter Beyond Meat. Beyond Meat, which is also sold at Willy's. It's not sold at Checkers. I'm just going to tell you now. It's sold at yeah, and even in restaurants. <laughs> it's not every restaurant. It's just, yeah, boy. Well, it, 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 so I actually buy Beyond Meat. So that's why I know your the expensiveness. So what Beyond Meat and other such entities have proven is that there is a market for it and there's a premium market for it because literally when I think about it this way, a chicken, a chicken for me, chicken breast is about, uh, if a chicken packed breast for me is about 60, 70 rand at Willie's, beyond meat for the same alternative, you're looking at 200 rand. Even mm-hmm. it's literally double. For a, like a chicken breast, I'm going to tell. Yeah, like it's literally double, like you, and, and it's smaller portions. So I think what we've done beyond meat has done, which is very, very, very important, is that it's proven that this is a market that's growing. And there's mm. been a huge surge into finding alternatives. Like, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it personally, but I know it's, it's, it's more expensive than salmon, which is already expensive. You know what I've learned? Don't even go and look for, like, meaty-tasting type plant stuff. Just make your... Put together your things there that are veggie and make your own patty, guys, because singer full show. Snezipo, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, back on that message. Um, hey, Fundin, as you go and buy those 200 rand plant based chicken breast alternatives, uh, yeah, I mean, let's think about, uh, I guess, uh, the dynamics of uh, our broader food, food system. And I think those are the big questions that remain. Snezipo, as always, a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure.